been seeing a lot of headlines about this writer strike. Nothing's particularly set in stone yet, because uh, last I heard, there'd been a pretty overwhelming vote in favor of a strike. Um, but the contract is still the contract that the WGA folks still have is active until the first of May. So they're going to keep negotiating up until that point. But essentially, they you know it's it's a typical like um, terms that they're after. You know they want pay increases. They want uh, some new considerations in the the advent of streaming because it's been a while since they uh, they updated their contract and there's the industry is obviously changing constantly. They feel like they're not getting enough uh, money in the way of residuals, stuff like that. Are you worried at all that it'll get to be the like a, a strike like the one back in 2008, 2009 when they kind of shook the TV industry uh, for a little bit? I think it definitely will. I don't feel like Hollywood learns its lessons quick enough or eagerly enough. I don't know if you remember this, but did you ever watch Heroes back in like 2008? No, I was familiar with it when it was on, but I, I didn't get oh, into okay. it. Okay. So that was one of the shows in, and Friday Night Lights too. Two of the shows that I really liked watching when I was in college that got really, really affected by it. And I imagine a lot of shows will be affected by it. The one wrinkle I read recently was that the emergence of ChatGP and AI um, can potentially write basic TV scripts better, yeah. if not as well enough as the current writers. That's a bit of a wrinkle, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting because I, I dislike safe TV, which I think a lot of shows have become now, and we'll touch on that when we get to The Mandalorian. But I am not hopeful, nor do I think they will come to a solution that benefits the viewers. Yeah, because like somebody was asking me about this this week, in fact, like when it came to AI written scripts and, you know, I think it's in its infancy right now. But uh, any <laughs> we'll get there one day. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I hope that uh, through this WGA potential strike situation, you know, they uh, they work some language into their deal that addresses that because this is the chance to do it, right? I mean, if they if they don't uh, get into it now, I mean, they could find themselves in a in a bind later on when, you know, Warner Brothers or whoever decides, hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try an AI generated script for once, you know, what could it hurt? It goes back to the point in the Matrix where like the machines is only as good as the humans make it. Yeah. Or or, or the fact that machines fail because humans fail. Yeah. Yeah. We can only make them. Yeah. As imitations of ourselves. So. Yeah. Or just mm. like the architect said, like inevitably any failure that's made by the machines is probably due to human error. Yeah. If I remember the Matrix correctly. It's been a while yeah, since I've watched Yeah. sounds familiar. Them. Yeah. That that's a classic pessimistic speech. Is it pessimistic or just realistic? Ah, I think it. I think it rings really true. Anyway, that's my Debbie Downer moment for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, should we get into talking about some movies? Okay, fine. Welcome to the Extra Buttery Podcast. It's a show about movies, TV, anything with a story and actors on a screen, really. Join Jason Chan and Robert Snow's free-flowing conversation with deep dives into characters and plot with the occasional salty opinion. So get your popcorn. I got mine right here. Let's start the show! Welcome to episode 117 of the Extra Buttery Podcast. My name is Robert Snow in Toronto, and I'm joined by Jason Chen in Vancouver. Hello, hello. Hi. This time on the show, we're going to be talking about a whole whack of movies that uh, we've uh, been sort of catching up on in recent weeks, as well as some, some new episodes of TV. So we're going to be talking about uh, Creed Three, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, as well as John Wick Chapter 4, maybe a little bit of Mario movie, <laughs> if we have time, uh, and even Succession on TV and uh, The Mandalorian. 
So a jam-packed episode. We may only touch on a few of these for a few minutes at a time because, hey, it's been a while and we got a lot to get through. But um, should we roll back the clock all the way to March with uh, Creed 3? Um, because I think that was the one that came out uh, the furthest in the past. Um, <laughs> I I haven't seen this one myself, but you have. Have you um, seen the first two? Oh, yeah, because we, we saw the second one together when it came out. Did we? Yeah, yeah. I don't recall. <laughs> One did of the you, times I did was you in, enjoy the first two? Yeah, I really liked yeah, them. Like yeah, I, so. I, uh, the, my reasoning for not seeing the third was just purely like scheduling, like, and it's available on streaming now, so I should really catch up. But okay, um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the first two. Like, I'm not typically a sports movie guy, but yeah. Also, also not to mention maybe the last chance you'll ever see Jonathan Majors in a major production. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Except for uh, you know, we'll see what they do with any of the roles that he's banked. Um, in the past uh, few months, but I guess, I mean, if you're going to recast Kang might as well be now, right? Yeah. There was a theory floating around that like the guy uh, had already shot some footage for um, Loki season two. So maybe they'll let that go. And then, and then, and then recast ways with them the for the movies. Yeah. Um, for those of those of you out there who don't know what we're talking about, Jonathan Majors has been uh, credibly accused of uh, domestic abuse. And uh, we, there's been, um, uh, some recent news that he has been dropped by his management um, firm. So, yeah, there's there's some distancing and some uh, canceling on the go. Um, so we will see what what becomes of him and his career. Um, but yeah, he is the he's the villain in uh, Creed three. So well, villain's a strong word. Antagonist. Okay, uh, I was going to I was going to qualify it by saying like from what I understand from the the marketing of around Creed three, you know, it begins with uh, um, Adonis Creed at the top of the world. You know, he's the champion. He has proven himself over and over again. He's very wealthy. Things are going great for him. But then this character from his past, played by. Uh, Jonathan Majors comes back as a guy who uh, he had been friends with, who ended up going to prison, and there's some uh, bad blood between them to an extent. I believe like Jonathan Majors' character feels like maybe Adonis Creed uh, should have gone to prison instead of him, or as well as him. Sort of. Um, for what? Yeah. A, yeah. Um, but this this uh, ends up turning into a bit of a setup for a boxing match because obviously Majors' character is in very good shape and feels like he can challenge the heavyweight champion. Before I got locked up, I was the best. You a coward, bro, and a fraud. Try spending half your life in a cell. Watching somebody else live your life. I had to draw the line. I'm just getting started, little brother. I had to draw the line between my brothers and my enemies. I'm coming for it all. It's not going to stop. Then you make him. It's funny how in each and every passing movie, they kind of retcon Donnie's past as an easy way to set up this uh, future boxing match that where the beef goes back decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the first movie, you obviously had Sylvester Stallone and, you know, his dad, Apollo Creed. And then the second one, you had Yvonne Drago come back. And then this one, someone from um, Donnie's childhood comes back. So I don't know what's going to be end up in the fourth movie. <laughs> Maybe some kid who, in middle school who bullied him comes back. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I didn't. En- I, I like the movie. I didn't enjoy this one as much as the first two. It might be because it was missing Sylvester Stallone in it. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do appreciate Donnie Creed as a standalone character. I find him very interesting. And so the sort of father figure, mentor figure, I would just say mother figure this time is Donnie's mom. She plays a huge emotional role in this. Obviously, Tessa Thompson as the wife is also very much uh, the emotional heart of the story. And then the daughter that they have who was born deaf, who we were introduced to in in the second movie. Um, There is one sort of stylistic difference in this one that I didn't think it worked really well for me is that Michael B. Jordan mentioned that he took a lot of uh, inspiration from anime in filming the boxing scenes. Right. And and you can kind of see it. It does feel a little bit like Dragon Ball Z where, you know, there's a lot of like flurry of punches and they move through um the all these sorts of settings like they move beyond the boxing ring but in in more of a metaphorical sense where the background changes and supposed to represent you know 
a bigger conflict than just what's happening in the ring. So I appreciated that. I just didn't think it worked for me because it took me out of the ring. Interesting. I think part of the appeal of boxing movies is staying in the ring, being so close to your antagonist in the fight and having the crowd noise really bring you up and lift you up. I thought that was a little missing in this one. I kind of missed it. Uh, I think I kind of prefer the traditional boxing movie with the crowd and everything. Right. Um, I can see what he's doing here, but um, I think it's just a personal preference. Yeah, because this is the first one where uh, Michael B. Jordan has been directing and uh, Ryan Coogler, yes. who had previously directed the the other two installments, uh, he was busy on, I assume, the Black Panther sequel when this was in production. So, Correct. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, reigns passed to the star and I guess, you know, he decided to play around with some stylistic stuff to kind of distinguish himself a little bit. Um, is there any word on whether they're going to do a fourth one with? Oh, uh, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure there'll be an expanded universe. I'm sure they're, they'll do a female uh, Creed boxer being, you know, that being his daughter. Oh. who takes after him with the fighting. It's, it's when they have to wait like 10 years or something for her to be old Well, enough? they'll just re- recast the role or something. Oh, okay. You know, like okay. they did with Ant-Man. With no, I mean like the, the daughter. Like if for Michael B. Jordan to be old enough to conceivably be like her uh, father. He can just wear makeup, you know. <laughs> okay, okay. Because in this movie, he's already basically retired. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, he's kind of brought out of retirement by uh, Jonathan Majors. I see. And so... Um, I can see that happening. Um, Apollo Creed basically, not Apollo, Adonis Creed basically becomes the next um, Rocky where he becomes, uh, transitions into the coaching part of his career. Um, He already is doing that in parts of this movie. I think that's where it's going to go next. The problem with boxing movies too is that they end up really being cliched. You hardly ever see the the good guy outright lose. Um, usually it's a pretty tough battle and there's some sort of moral victory, even if the decision's against them. Yes. Um, the protagonist rarely dies in the ring. Um, I think the only exception I can think of is million dollar baby. I don't know if you've seen that one. No, I've always meant to, but yeah. Okay. Really good. Uh, the protagonist in that one ends on a bit of a sad note. Um, that's the only one I can think of, but usually, you know, there's some sort of like triumph over evil or triumph over self in, in, in these boxing movies. And so in that sense, it makes it a little cliched and predictable, but it's always fun to see like people beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like <laughs> the, the original Rocky was, uh, what was the template, right? And uh, you know, you, you don't get any better than that final, like winning knockout, and the the celebration afterwards, it can be infectious, no matter. Well, he loses in Rocky. One. No, I know, but like that, the, the sense, and later the on, sense yeah. of like you know the triumph, no no matter if it was like a physical knockout or, or like an emotional one. Um, yeah, the emotional you know, triumph is what makes Rocky um, great. Yeah, the the sense of triumph is like is kind of overwhelming and and infectious, even you know even though if you've seen it a, a few times, you know if you've seen that formula reused. I wish you could see it on the big screen though, because some of the effects in regards to the boxing is is better on the big screen, like the punches, the speed, mm, yeah, some of the close up cuts that you see. There's one point where um, Jonathan Majors gets hit by a pretty big uppercut, and I think it it was a quick cut, so I couldn't really make out what it was, but essentially his teeth had gotten knocked out and it oh. got stuck in the mouth guard. Ooh. Oh. And so when they pull out the mouth guard, the, the tooth was stuck in it eh. and he was just like a pool of blood yeah. in his mouth. Um, I don't know. That, that kind of stuff just kind of, kind of gets me going sometimes. I don't know what that says about me. But <laughs> yeah. You're not normally... for someone who doesn't like gore in movies for some reason, like fighting injuries just doesn't, you know, gross me mm. out as much. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, so yeah, you're you're say, essentially saying though that like not as good as the first two, but but still enjoyable, yep. um, recommended. Yes. But then talking about fighting, I, I suppose we should segue over to John Wick Chapter Four. Challenge you to single combat. If you win, you'll have your freedom. And when I see you, I'ma take what I want. So. Amen. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you you didn't watch most of the the previous installments until more recently, right? Like you weren't watching them as they came out. I didn't. I watched the first one in theaters, and then the the other two I watched uh, like later after theaters, like on streaming and and whatnot. Right, right. But I had seen all of them before I went to this one. 
Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember talking about maybe one of the, like two or three or something with you and you were like, Oh, I, I haven't bothered with the, I, at that point you hadn't bothered with, uh, with watching the sequels. And I was like, no, it's actually like the world building and everything is quite interesting. Um, I think it was the third one you were could have been, about. yeah. Because the second one wasn't was my least favorite. Right. Okay. They come back with this fourth sequel, and I mean, I was impressed to see the the initial buzz talking about it as like yeah, the, the me one too. of the best of the franchise, which you rarely yep. see about any fourth installment of anything. Yep. Um, but I mean, I I I had a really good time. I will say though that the length was getting a little uh, oh, getting yeah. to me a little bit. I mean, oh, I first heard that it was going to be nearly three hours long. I'm like, a John Wick movie does not need to be three hours long. I I know that Chad Stahelski, the director, and Keanu Reeves, they love packing in as many like references to classic cinema and um, Hong Kong action and whatever the case may be. Like they're they are definitely movie fans, and they they let people know with all of the stuff that they pack into their movies, but. Sometimes I feel like it can be a little self-indulgent, like some of those. Oh, totally is. A hundred percent it is. Yeah. Uh, But that's not to say that the three hours that you do spend with this movie aren't um, entertaining because there's always something happening. The thing keeps up a good clip. It doesn't does not drag. Um, And here we are now at the end of the fourth one. There's uh, an open question of whether they'll make a fifth one or if they'll just, you know, focus on spinoffs. Um, they've got a, a spinoff show that's set like in uh, 60 years in the past or something that's set to come out next. Um, what did you think of this fourth one? Do you think it it, it uh, was a good way to cap things off or was it, it like unnecessary? Sometimes it's hard for me to decide if John Wick is a comedy or action movie. Agreed. It's really tough to decide sometimes. Sometimes I don't know how I feel. Uh, there's this last part where John Wick is supposed to go to this final duel at Sacre Coeur in yep. Paris. And there's this long sequence where he has to walk up the stairs and fight a bunch of guys to get to the to that yep. spot. And I remember at one point they make a point of telling the audience, oh, he's got two minutes unless it's, you know, too late. And I swear that sequence went on for yeah. another 15 minutes at least. And oh, so, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the part where like he continuously gets beat up and the the amount of hits that he takes with just like a little blood on the shirt or a little blood, you know, coming down his forehead on the face, it's just hilarious to me. So that kind of got boring to me with for lack of a better word because it seems like the stakes never felt real. I think that was one of the best parts in the first couple films was that a gunshot to the knee incapacitated some people. You know, or most people in this one, they've introduced like bulletproof uh, suits, bulletproof vests. And there's a bit of a funny moment where like Keanu Reeves takes off his suit and like you could hear like all the empty casings just like drop to the ground. Yes. Yes. And I thought that was really funny. But at the same time, I'm like, none of this shit is believable. And I don't care how clever the gunplay is. It's too played out. That's fair. I mean, um, that's where the, that's where I think you end up feeling the length a little bit because oh uh, yeah um, agreed you know as stylish as everything is you you do kind of grasp for something like more solid in terms mm-hmm. of like the world and like because they the, like you- they threw out they threw out plausibility ages ago especially when you know in the second one they they introduced the bulletproof suits that was the first time we ever saw them on screen yeah. and initially it was intended as like oh he has this small area that he can hold uh, hold up in front of his face like the the front of the jacket and he can block a few bullets and they didn't really overuse it but then by the time the third and the fourth one rolled around like it's a force field yeah he's going up against people who you're you're told are really scary international assassins who don't seem to be able to shoot him in the head no matter how close range they are you know yeah so it's it, it does get to be like a little bit of like star wars storm stormtrooper type uh stuff um just setting up like an endless wave of mercenaries for him to just dispatch with um you know uh, various martial arts moves or gunshots or whatever and it just goes on and on and on um yeah i i do appreciate how less gory they made it like, it could have been really nasty. It was more like gunplay oriented, this one, compared to... There was yeah. a big extended knife fight sequence in the, in the third yeah, one. Yeah, but the, the, 
it's it, it's not there's a lot of headshots and knifing but there's no like blood spring everywhere true you know yeah i mean some of the fights are interesting um but the choreography just goes on for a little too long sometimes they're showing off like they the you know they're they're proving that they can do everything in a wide shot without relying on editing to kind of put the sequence together like they they know that Keanu and everyone that they hire can do the stunts for real they can pull off these moves and they show it off and so the everything feels longer than it would if it had been cut down and so yeah it's it's a question of like okay am I watching a story am I watching a movie or am I watching a really impressive choreography yeah. reel you yeah know? so I was just gonna mention the one scene that I just could not stand was the card game that he plays with the mob boss was it Bulgaria or something oh, yeah or Belarus or something like that yeah they're Belarusian yeah yeah they play uh five card poker yeah and it's the dumbest scene I've ever seen it goes on for way too long i I mean part of it i think is also because i felt donnie yen's character was a bit of a gimmick yeah i mean i i love i I think he did some interesting things like while fighting with the gunplay but the whole blind man being such an awesome fighter isn't this exactly the same character you played in rogue one like is (laughs) it the same shared universe yeah (laughs) um it is it is very similar and like yeah the the shifting kind of allegiances got a little bit um hard to keep track of like is Kane actually going to kill John Wick or does he actually have a soft spot for him like you know some of the the back and forth gets a little bit hard to parse um the the sum total of it all though is that it's incredibly well-made action that you're not seeing in almost any other franchise so you have to kind of give it to them for that yeah I agree fewer reloading scenes which I appreciate in the first film that they just kind of got away from. Mm. I felt that that was just like a minor detail that really made John Wick stand out was the the amount of reloading John Wick did. Yeah. In this one, it really looked like he didn't, he just never ran out of bullets. True. Um, yeah. That was one thing that I used to appreciate about the, the earlier ones was that, you yeah. know, they, they, they spent time to kind of show that like, all right, it is possible mm-hmm. for an action hero to run out of ammo. Yeah. And the other thing is I read a lot of, uh, reviews going to the film about how they talked about how it was building more of this continental universe. Yeah. I never got that feeling. I, I just got the feeling that the high table was always corrupt as it's, as it's ever been and rules are pretty much arbitrary. Yeah. And like, it's cool. We go to Osaka and see the continental there, but we don't know. We don't learn more about the continental and its rules. No, not um, more than any of the other ones. Yeah. And they openly blatantly break the rules yeah of course yeah. like with the opening fight in osaka like they do it in the continental yes yes so it's like um which i guess you're, you're right it does go a certain length towards proving the corruption of the high table and how everything is just guidelines and but yeah it, it would be nice if if there were more moments like the first one where you know when the one assassin played by was it um adrian palicki um, she breaks the rules of the Continental and is executed for it. Um, you know, it, it would be nice to, to get, uh, if the lore was a little bit um, more tight and well-respected in, in certain ways, you know? Yeah. I, I, I kind of also wish that, uh, not to say the cast was bad, I just wish there were more big-name celebrities who make cameos as assassins. If they're even if they're just hanging out in the Continental, right, you know? right, just like walk on, just just yeah, just walk ons because by the end of the movie, like by the time Keanu Reeves falls out of the building five stories and gets hit by a car ten times and still walks away, and he's kind of walking with a semi limp. By that time, you're just kind of laughing. Oh yeah, know? yeah, I think you're like, like he looks like a human pinball. Out yeah, there. I think you're supposed to laugh too because that's that's happened to him before, and you're just supposed to be like, "Gosh, nothing gets this guy." Yeah, which is weird because the first movie felt really serious at times. Oh yeah, it wasn't until the second one that they started being very playful. I think the the first one was approached as a more standard. I mean, it almost was like a direct to streaming um, action like throwaway thing and then it was only on the success of that one that they started building out the the world to the extent that they have and kind of inserting more of the comedy bits not Um, my favorite john wick not by far yeah it's hard because i i have to give it a lot of points for like technical achievement but uh in terms of like the one like a (laughs) did you laugh when they started uh when when they got uh, attacked and they started coming back with like sumo wrestlers and arrows (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought that was hilarious, man. Yeah, that was well another like sense of humor type of thing that they have um, on the production team. But yeah, yeah. never bring arrows to a gunfight. But <laughs> I don't know. They lasted a pretty long time. They did. They did. But they ended up, you know, I guess it was a moral victory. Um, I mean, it. no, but uh, like. Would I want to see more from this universe? I don't know. I think I'm I'm not super interested in the Continental TV show, to be honest. Um, like, Why not? Isn't it Anna Doramas, isn't it? Uh, no, that's a different one that hasn't come out yet. There's The first one is the is the flashback show. Okay. See, I'm already losing yeah. track. I mean, I, I come to these movies for Keanu and the core cast, and oh, I... Okay. Okay. So, speaking of Keanu, this might be his worst acting performance ever. I can't stand the way he talks. I can't stand the way he delivers his lines. And everything he says it just sounds hilarious to me. It was getting a little weird how like he was giving such monosyllabic answers to things. Um, I know. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> um but again I, I like I can't get too mad about it. I just um I'm thinking about like have I have I had a worse time in a 3-hour movie? Yeah, for sure. Um what was what's the worst? I was definitely more bored at Avatar than I was at this. Really? Okay. Interesting. I think I think I was more interested in Avatar than this one. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, for me, I just... Uh... They were both cliched as hell, in my opinion. Oh, so when's the last time... I guess, spoiler alert, but when's the last time in a movie where Hiroyuki Sanada does not die? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the Asian Liam Neeson. He's getting to be, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. It even happened to him on Westworld, if I remember correctly. But anyway, uh, maybe multiple times, given the way those the robots on that show work. But anyway. Yeah. A poor guy. Jesus. Yeah. Um, no. So, I mean, if uh, it's definitely not an easy film to jump into, if you haven't seen any of the previous ones, you do have to kind of know a little bit about what's going on. Um, but yeah, it, it could have been a much worse ending for the for the main cast. And mm-hmm. it could have been, you know, a lot more boring at three hours. And the fact that it wasn't speaks volumes about like Chad Stahelski and Keanu and everyone who works on these things. So yeah, I um, uh, I would recommend it to anyone who is even like a little bit familiar with the franchise. Um, but moving along, because we have we have a lot more so to go. much to talk. So about. much to go. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. They give us a fighting chance. We're going to need strength. You got this, right? I know you don't. We also need courage. Back to school magic. And you. Does this get the award for like sleeper hit of the year? No. <laughs> Why not? Because I didn't enjoy it that much. Oh. <laughs> okay, we did. We're really diverging now. Yeah. So um, um, I don't get the hype for this one, but y- you can take it away first. You're gonna have to convince me. Okay. So we've got Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves, which is the I believe um, third or fourth. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons related movie in recent years, although they a few of those were either direct to DVD or direct to uh, video type things like. Yeah, I was going to say, I only remember one other Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yeah. And that first one also is not particularly well remembered. So, I mean, in terms of like critical and commercial success, this is definitely doing the best out of the the movie franchise so far. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just not yeah. debatable. Um, and I think what this one has going for it is just uh, a bunch of people working behind the scenes who are not ashamed of making something related to Dungeons and Dragons. They kind of they acknowledge that this is like a very nerdy property with um, a lot of flexibility in what they can do. Like they can have kooky races and uh, a blend of comedy and action and uh, all sorts of um, fantasy elements that might seem like a mishmash uh, in a different franchise, mm-hmm. but here you can, it's kind of like a sandbox. They can just sort of toss stuff at the screen. So it's clear mm-hmm. that like the people mm-hmm. who are working on this movie are having fun. And I don't know. I think the, that sense of fun that from the set kind of carried through to me because uh, it's just a band of rogues who are, you know, they, they are motivated mostly by money, but then they get drawn into this save typical save the world from evil sorcerers type of plot. Um, and they become like slightly better versions of themselves as a result. And yeah, it's um, it just 
didn't take itself too seriously, which I guess I appreciated from uh, from the perspective of somebody who has never played Dungeons and Dragons with like a game night type of environment. But I, I didn't have any investment in the characters or the world, and it was my first time really watching it. So it was kind of nice to just sort of feel like nothing was being expected of me that I could just, you know, uh, laugh at the jokes and appreciate the uh, fantasy scenarios and just sort of see where it took me. Um, but it sounds like you found it a lot more kind of formulaic. I like, like you, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. Um, not nerdy enough to do it. I was always busy doing other things that I had more interest in. Um, <laughs> I had real friends. <laughs> exactly. No, just kidding. Um, it was just something that never like occurred to me. Just like I'm not a big board game guy, you know. So um, I walked in not knowing what to expect and not expecting anything in particular. I was a little surprised the amount of good reviews it had gotten. And when I walked away from it, I, I think you're right. I felt it was a little formulaic other than Chris Pine's character. And only probably because it was played by Chris Pine. I didn't feel like any of the characters were really memorable. Um, the villain was definitely not memorable. Um, mm. I found the plot just a tad bit yeah. hard to follow. Maybe it was because you start the movie off where he's talking about what happens in the past and there's a bunch of oh, narration yeah. and he kind of jumps to the present and you kind of go along with the journey. There's a bit of a shifting alliance there, um, but it was more of a sleight of hand type deal. And I just felt like it was a good fantasy movie. I've just seen better. I've seen movies with with magic and, and creatures that I felt were more exciting. Um, the humor didn't really hit with me. Um, partially also because I don't find Michelle Rodriguez a particularly good actress or particularly funny. Oh. <laughs> so may maybe the, the point was uh, to be a foil to Chris Pine, who is more of like the, yeah, the crowd so. pleaser, the charismatic lead. Um, but that didn't. Yeah, I think she's she's deliberately playing like a wooden yeah. type or more wooden. I mean, she's supposed to be this barbarian character that he um, hangs out with and she's the muscle. He's the brain kind of thing. I just didn't think the chemistry was as great as uh, people said it was. And some of the effects were cool, but I didn't think it brought any new elements. You know, the part where they jump into this cube and they kind of freeze. Yeah. I thought that was the only thing that was kind of interesting, but I also felt like it wasn't that interesting in the sense that um, it felt like it was something that I'd seen before or that it didn't have as big of an impact on the movie's plot or the characters I thought it should have. Um, I thought it was just a cool visual effect. And it ha it, we're at the point where having good visual effects isn't enough. Like to me, a good visual effect that makes a lasting impression has to work itself into the plot right. somehow. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I will say that I was impressed with the level of practical effects that they uh, included here. Like there are certain, um, costumes and uh there's things like the the moment where they get trapped in the quicksand when they go to confront uh the villain played by hugh grant um you know a lot of those were done for real in camera and not to say that they're more convincing than digital effects but it's just nice to know that like you know they they figured out how to do it for real so there was like a technical achievement of some kind there also um, i didn't feel like hugh grant hammed it up enough no, he, he Nicholas definitely, Cage would have been way better. <laughs> well, the problem with Nick Cage, though, is he would have he would have chewed so much scenery that you would have been like just waiting for him, waiting for him to come back and you wouldn't care about the heroes anymore. Well, I think that's the that's kind of what's missing about this is that none of the villains were memorable. Yeah, I agree. I agree that Hugh Grant could have been uh, could have turned up his performance a little bit. Um, he was definitely he was more interesting in like Paddington 2 than he was here. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of saying something. The witch was, yeah, she's just like the the conduit for the all the evil magic stuff. So she's kind of a means to the end. It was it was fun though to see at the the end sequence where they they all team up finally. They kind of uh, learn how to work together and they they fight her in unison in this big like one shot. I guess um, again, see that, that was. This that, that was an interesting, that, again, interesting on like a technical level, it, uh, visually striking, but... Cliched and played out. 
<laughs> Don't you think? Like, no, wow, no, this, this team, wow, comes together at the right moment and defeats the evil witch with their powers. And this evil witch, no matter how powerful she is, ends up getting her ass kicked by five random strangers or however many it was. Well, you know that they're going to uh, be victorious. Like, there's no, te- there's no like tension there. But um, yeah, I mean, fair enough. I'm, ta- I'm talking about the way it was shot, like just the the fluidity of the the camera work and that stuff. That was impressive. Okay, fair enough. I just. I wasn't as impressed as a lot of other people were, I think. And I I think this is one of those forgettable movies that we won't talk about in two years. I don't know. They they made a lot of money, so they may. Uh... Well, there will be sequels and I, and I hope the sequels will be better. But this particular film, I think, if you ask me two hour, two years from now, what happens in it? I'll be like, I have no idea. <laughs> I think, you know, honestly, I should I think they should go with the route that they've been doing with the Godzilla movies, the MonsterVerse movies, where they don't they're not stuck with a particular set of human characters from movie yeah, to movie. Agreed. Agreed. Um, just have like because, you know, Dungeons and Dragons has a lot of people getting together at the uh, uh, any basements, like playing these games out. And um, so, you know, the the core group here is supposed to feel like a crowd of like five friends who are playing the game together and having a quest. So I think the next one should be a, a quest with a, a totally different roster of, of characters. And who knows, maybe they'll get some cool uh, actors who you wouldn't expect to be in something like this. And maybe those particular characters will connect with you a little better. I don't know. Um, Cause I mean, it's, it's interesting for Chris Pine specifically to do something like this because this feels like, you know, something that he would have chosen to do as like a younger actor, not the kind of place he is right now with his career. Anyway, it's a fun little surprise. I for me, at least um, I'm curious to see what they do with the franchise. Mm-hmm. I think that's more interesting to me is what they do with the franchise. Yeah, I think I'd be if they end up uh, coming back with a sequel with the exact same cast, I would be less interested in it. I probably wouldn't wouldn't watch it yeah, in theaters. Sure. So, you know, uh, that's just my two cents. Have you seen the Mario movie. I have not. And I'm I'm like debating this because I kind of know what to expect. I, I am a fan of Mario. But I don't think you're going to enjoy yourself. Oh, I'm not? Why is that? Well, I mean, I think you'll see it for what it is, which is that it's a kid's movie. That has Mario characters, yes. <laughs> not sure if you know who I am, but I'm about to rule the world. Wow. Uh, yay. But there's one problem. There's a human has a mustache just like you. Do you think I know every human being with a mustache wearing an identical outfit with a hat with the letter of his first name on it? <laughs> because I don't. When I went to the theater, so I went to see John Wick, and the theater yeah. was packed. For a weekday night, I was like shocked. Yeah. But then I realized that like 90% of the people at the concession were actually going to see the Super Mario movie. And they were all like my age. <laughs> they were like no kids. The thing is making crazy money all across all age demos. It's, um yeah, it's a well, real. That, I, I think that speaks to the lasting appeal of Mario. Sure. Yeah. I mean. Because you have such a wide demographic, you can't take many risks. No. No, you're certainly not going to see like a gritty reboot of Mario if <laughs> or for just something like, like this. They yeah, don't have or, the they don't have like the the um the trust of the audience yet. You know, after the the uh, dumpster fire that was the early '90s uh, offering with uh, Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo, cult classic. Excuse you, Robert. Okay. <laughs> Because that but, one, but went I like, I mean, the one thing you can say about that that movie from the '90s is that they went with a big swing. They wanted to kind yes, of make yeah. it more adult and spooky, and very much against the um, the source they, material. Yeah, but they had some crazy ideas. This one plays it safe, and that's yes. why I think it makes so much money. At the same time, playing it safe doesn't interest me that much. That's why I say you're probably not going to like it. I mean, I would. <laughs> I had because we talked about the same with um, sorry Dungeons and Dragons and and Creed right they like they're times where they play it too safe in my opinion yeah so this one plays it incredibly safe I mean it's very faithful to the games it is just a it is uh, for all of its 90 minutes it is racing to include every single Easter egg and reference it possibly can it does so with like incredible style like it there are moments where they imitate like side-scrolling style video games and it definitely conjures up like the feeling you would have playing a game like that like it 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 nails that and it gets all of the other details incredibly right 
does it work as a story? Is it engaging any more so than like playing a game? No, not at all. Like you could <laughs> you could have the exact same amount of fun just playing the game uh, or one of the you know. I am glad though that finally movies based off of video games are getting good reviews mm. or at least doing well. Yeah, because between this and The Last of Us, you know, it's showing that it's not an impossible thing to adapt. Yeah, and Dungeons and Dragons too, right? Yeah. Like not a video game, but I mean, it just shows that there's a lot of potential. Yeah, you just have and to have the right approach to it. You have to like, I don't know, uh, acknowledge that it's a game or I, I don't know. It's a complicated uh, screenwriting problem, you know? And I think Nintendo's just like found a new revenue stream that could be potentially fantastic, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. I think we're just going to get more of this. I, I do remember we got an Angry Birds movie a while back. Right? Yeah, nobody liked so that. So are we going to get though. like a Candy Crush movie? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or what other mobile game is fun these days? See, I don't even know. But I, I think there's so many movies that they could make, like Donkey Kong. And it started with Sonic, by the way. Oh, like, yeah. Props to Sonic. Like, I actually enjoyed Sonic. And and some of the storylines story and some of the stuff they did did stray away from the the video game itself. Yeah, but it still um, remained like a, um, you know, a passably entertaining movie in spite of that. So, yeah, 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 yeah. After a bunch of like public backlash over the original design. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very well-deserved, though. Um, right. But, right. yeah, so, I mean, the Mario movie, I mean, for you, you could probably catch it when it's free to watch on Prime or, or Netflix or whatever. Like, it wouldn't, uh, there's no reason to see it in theaters, but... Um, I, I feel like, though, it's a movie that you should see in theaters with people who are more excited to see it than you. Maybe. Just so it can, like, bring you up a little bit. Like, if I'm watching this at home by myself, I'd be like, all right, I'm bored. <laughs> Well, you can. Did you have a good time? Though? I mean, I had a good time. I mean, I've always okay. I've been a lifelong fan of the Mario games. So the, for me, yeah. there was a lot of like, Who isn't? there's a you know a lot of recognizing all of the Easter eggs. You know, that's that's fun in the moment. And um, right. there is one character in it who I guess maybe setting up a sequel potentially. Like, um, did you ever play the um, Super Mario Galaxy games for Wii? No. Who's the char- Who's the character? Well, it's Mario, but you know, it's a typical Mario platformer, but there's um, these little star guys that are, you know, they're sort of um, supporting characters in those games. And there's one of those who pops up in Bowser's castle at the end of the movie. And uh, he's like got the voice of a child, but he keeps saying all these really depressing things. So there's this <laughs> like, you know, Bowser captures a few more characters and then this guy pops up in his little cage and he's like, Ooh, fresh meat for the grinder. Pay him no heed. He is cute, but he is. There's got to be a way out of here. There's no escape. The only hope is the sweet relief of death. Whoa! Oh, you've got to be kidding me. You know, <laughs> those like, moments were like, I legitimately had a, a, a I love that character just for the juxtaposition. I really like characters, not to make fun of mental health and people who are affected by it, but characters who we assume to be joyful, like kids or like young yeah. characters or idealists who like end up becoming really depressed really <laughs> i find really really funny yeah okay so, so you so, will like this character then because so do you remember uh what was it the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy alan rickman's oh, yeah. depressed robot marvin the paranoid android yeah he yeah. is the best part about that movie oh, and i yeah. laughed so hard oh god i love that guy marvin i've been talking to the ship's computer and it hates me. And it's kind of like Debbie Downer. Like the characters you don't expect to be, you know, downers or depressed. They end up to me being like a really good source of comic relief. I don't know what that says about my like really morbid sense of humor sometimes. Hey, I mean, if you've got the morbid sense of humor, then I've got it too. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, just so anything I, to bring the party down a little bit I find really hilarious yeah well that's what this character in the Mario yeah. movie is designed to do right like he, yeah um, it, it's kind of like hey you're too joyful and happy tone it down a notch yeah yeah so anyway I'm hoping that like they have more of those those little guys around in the the sequel and you know it becomes a whole thing that like they're supposed to be happy cheerful little star guys but they're they're all like cosmically uh <laughs> mentally destroyed or whatever um yeah that would be great. Um, well, should we change gears over to TV then? Okay. 
What do you want to talk about first, Succession or Mandalorian? Uh, let's leave Succession till the end. We should end on a better, higher note. That's Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> so the thing with Mandalorian is, at what point did it become a freaking kid's show? At what point did it become more Obi-Wan than Andor? I would say some sometime in the mess that was like the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. It made that, that leap. I don't exactly know how. Being a Mandalorian is not just learning about how to fight. You also have to know how to navigate the galaxy. That way, you'll never be lost. Uh, Book of Boba Fett was a bizarre show that in it some sucked. ways... Sorry, yeah, it, it sucked. It had some moments in it that where I was like, wow, this is some really cool stuff I'm seeing. But then everything else was so weird. Can I just point out that I don't think Mandalorian was supposed to go on for this long. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be a short contained miniseries ending with Luke taking Grogu away. And that was supposed to be the end of that. Yes. Yeah. But that. somehow they couldn't get away from how successful this thing was. Made up a bunch of stupid storylines. Uh, made up a bunch of, you know, like kidsy stuff. You know, like, oh, look, a monster took another kid away. I'm like, dude, another kid? Like, how long has like how long has this been going on for? Yeah. And yet you still let the kids play by the water? Like, this is like Jaws level levels of stupid you know yeah that like hey look there's a killer shark in the ocean hey let's have these kids go out for a swim like what the hell man that uh, particular um planet they chose to live on was not super smart yeah i mean there are um, some legitimately interesting things like when they had to go get go to that pool of water um yep on Mandalore. I, on Mandalore. I thought that was a really interesting part of the lore, a really thrilling adventure. And I, I kind of thought the rest of the series would go like that. But then they go back to their little, you know, camp, their little village or whatever it is. And then they introduce this beast and this kid that they have to rescue. And and it's just like random curveballs like, oh, we can't be too loud. Oh, we can't use our rocket, rocket you know, jetpacks. Yeah. And it's just like. None of it makes sense. The only reason it exists, these obstacles exist, is to make things harder for the protagonist. But there's no rhyme or reason to it. It doesn't feel organic. Yeah, I think that's the best critique you could make of it is that it's not organic. Like we, uh, you know, the setup from the previous season was that we're building up to this um retaking of the planet Mandalore by these characters and they're going to rebuild their ancient civilization and you know uh, reclaim a certain amount of the 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 respect that they once commanded etc cetera, etc cetera. the writers are kind of trying to delay that climax by having all of these mm -hmm. fetch quests and side quests and monster of the week type uh, action which the Mandalorian has done before there's been plenty of monster of the week stuff that yeah. that that's you know it's so in some ways it is like a monster of the week type show, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, it got really noticeable here. And then of course you've got Grogu running around constantly in the background and you, the cute factor is just off the scales. So it starts to undercut the original sort of gunslinger, um, bounty hunter premise that the show was launched on. I don't feel like the Mandalores really deserve their reputation. I mean, it took, what, 30 of them to bring down one beast and like one or nine out of 10 get just get chopped up and killed easily. <laughs> it's just they don't seem like an elite fighting force is what I'm saying. Yeah, they have a, I have a chance to redeem themselves in the finale, which just came out I, today. But um, OK, I, I guess I'll have to continue watching. It's hard for me to bring myself to watch yeah. it because I found I found uh, the episodes in the current season. Most of them really stupid. Yeah. Uh, it gets better once they bring in a, an actual overarching villain. Um, so okay, and there's just too many Mandalorians. Like I, I feel like that's part of the problem. It, it doesn't seem too exclusive. The number of Mandalorians who um, you're going to meet is about to like quintuple or something. Like 
there's so many of them. They have hold like uh, there's this whole crew of uh, of Mandalorians run by, uh, that was previously led by Bo-Katan. And would um, they meet up with them on another planet and they have all these ships and it's a real fleet of Mandalorians. So it's it's supposed to be thrilling. But but you do make a good point. Like there's a question of like, are Mandalorians more interesting when they're lone gunslingers who are mysterious the way Boba Fett was in the original trilogy? Or do they lose some of their luster the more of them there are and the more we learn about them? it's It's the same exact problem as the Jedi Knight problem. The, there's just too many Jedis. <laughs> Really, there is. <laughs> and it just seems like not all of them are particularly good at their job, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, we we learned that in the in the prequel trilogy, like um the there were certain Jedi who just, you know, got their asses handed to them by stormtroopers yeah. and they're like, "Wait a second, I thought this this was supposed to be a a more um uh a different matchup, you the, know?" The thing with Star Wars too is that they never understood that less is more. All they want is more, 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 but they don't understand less is more. Like, it's just too much of certain things, and they try to be too many things, and it just they just lose focus. Except when they make a show like Andor. Andor proves that they can do things differently, yes. and they just choose not to. Yes, Andor is so focused, though, eh? Like, it's focused on one tiny problem and one character. Yeah. At like- and that's what makes it so great. When Mandalorian, when the Mandalorian first came on, it had aspects of of Andor in the sense of oh being, for sure, yeah, being like a very kind of um, focused show. But yeah, they they start they've been steadily weaving in more of the kid oriented stuff, and that's fine. I mean, the Mandalorian can change over the course of uh, of the run. It's just uh, it's not exactly what we were sold on originally, and um, um, it doesn't give you the feels the way Andor does. The commoditization of Star Wars. And as a vehicle for merchandising, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest issues. I would, I mean, how would you sell Andor as a toy line? You can't. No, no, you can't. It's, um, and yeah, that's therein lies the problem for them, right? I mean, they, uh, they, they can't completely shut themselves off from, uh, from that revenue stream. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. not to say Andor was perfect. But it was clo- as close to like a dramatic miniseries as we've gotten. Yeah. So more of that. I mean, I will. I'll continue watching the Star Wars shows. I, I as you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for them. Um, even Ahsoka looks good. I mean, God damn it. I, I said to myself months ago that I wasn't going to watch it. I even said to myself that I wasn't going to watch Andor. And here I am. <laughs> well, Andor was good. So that was a good leap of faith. Uh, I'm not so sure about Ahsoka. Ahsoka's got those those like maybe bad guys with orange lightsabers that, who look really cool. So I don't know. Again, I highly, highly recommend that you track down Gendy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. Oh, no, the I, 2D animated I've watched version. all of that. Oh, uh, it's great. Yeah, those so awesome. Yeah. The, the, those are really great Star Wars stories. And we have Star Wars Visions. There's, there's some cool stuff happening on that show, too. Okay, yeah. Explain to me, is there a new Star Wars Visions? Wasn't that the one with like the Japanese anime style? Yeah. So the um, the first one was um, independent shorts. Like yeah, those um, were cool. Those are really cool. Yeah, I watched all of those. They've got a new season coming out. It's going to come out on, oh, on Star Wars season. Day, okay. um, May the fourth, of course. Um, so that's coming out in the coming weeks, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a new. A collection of uh, different animation studios and i think they've even got like a stop motion one in this season so um, oh, cool. i mean one of the cool things about that that show is that it's not burdened by any of the existing lore so they can just tell a random story that or has so some... you think well yeah i mean i'm sure until they'll... they write themselves into a corner and then a skywalker shows up <laughs> yeah yeah mandalorian showed that that um that can mm-hmm. happen so mm-hmm. we will see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for okay, so our final our final topic of today, um, something that has not written itself into a corner just yet. Well, it's uh, ending, is, right? So it's ending. So it's trying to trying to go out on a high note, and that is succession. He's on the floor, Tom. Explain to me what he's doing. He's moseying, terrifyingly moseying. It's like if Santa Claus was a hitman. We were cut out behind our backs. But there's a shape for things for us. We partner up with Sandy and Stewie, with Pierce. Death wrestling ogres. Excited to get into this knife fight? Let's blow it up. I don't think we've ever really done a big segment on 
succession before because i think it took me a while to catch up to where you were and yeah and then the show yeah. was kind of on hiatus for a bit but now it's obviously back um and they add a so spoilers ahead for uh season four episode three because that's got a really big moment in it if you have not watched it please pause and come back later once you've watched it <laughs> don't just forget about us um but yeah did um did you see the big death coming i guess is the, the best way to yes because if you if you read the behind the scenes stuff logan was supposed to die in the first season hence the name succession yeah so they they have this whole setup where you know he they think he's gonna die they're they're scrambling in the first uh, se- first episode to you know adapt to this this stroke that he's had yeah um, but then of course he he's revived and he continues and makes more trouble for his children yeah because he's the perfect foil for his children yes the children aren't really foils for each other um not as well as logan roy is anyway um, I'm glad I, I was on this series from the start. It's a brilliant series. In some ways, though, I do feel like it's got it, it's kind of turned loose in, in terms of some of the characters. Um, it has become more crazy, dramatic and out of touch in, in some ways, I think. And I and, and specifically, I refer to the Tom Wamsgam's character. <laughs> Oh, okay. He has such an odd and specific way of talking. And him and Greg have this weird relationship that I can't get a hold of, that I can't really pin down. Right. That is very unique to them. And I and I think that's what makes it interesting to watch. But at the same time, it's also sometimes hard to follow. Like, because they speak in code, right? Like, like Kendall's a bit of a straight shooter and you kind of know what he's going for. With Tom and Greg, it's a little more cloak and daggers. Like they speak in code sometimes. And it, it, it's hard to figure out if Tom is toying with Greg <laughs> or if he genuinely believes that Greg is his only friend of the family. And for some reason, he chooses to treat him in a certain way so that he can keep Greg in check. At the same time. I think it's the latter. You think it's the latter? Because at, at some yeah. point, Greg's got to grow a pair, right? Like. He, he's so feeble sometimes. And, and it's just like at this point, you're kind of tired of watching watching him be a mouse. True. But I, I will say that over the course of the past, uh, all of the episodes, you do see Greg marching steadily towards being a more evil version of himself than he was at the beginning. Oh, yeah. So like, for sure. Yeah. You know, the, the longer he spends in the orbit of all of these bad people, the more he learns to be self-serving and uh, scurrilous and all, you know, he picks up all of these techniques and uh, it's, there's a small tragedy playing out with like watching Greg become this like this uh, nastier version of himself and that's partially due to his exposure to Tom who was previously the, the, the main like whipping boy for the family but now he's got an underling that he can have as his whipping boy yeah um so they kind of play off each other it was interesting actually to see a, a little fun marketing thing that uh the two actors um nicholas braun and matthew mcfadgian did where they swapped roles and they read each other's scripts uh, over the course of like a three minute scene or something and it was funny because it was never convincing like nicholas braun has a hard time playing tom and Matthew McFadden has a hard time playing Greg. And it was net like you, you just you can see how how like they it needs to be the way that it is. They can't swap. <laughs> yeah. That, well, I mean, that's why they cast the people they did. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like I, I can't see Jeremy Strong playing uh, Roman. No. Like it no. just wouldn't work. I don't think I'm enjoying the season as much as I have in previous seasons. Oh, I feel like the dialogue has just been a little harder to follow. Um, there's a lot of subplots that are going on, you know, that, that makes it a little difficult to follow as well. Yeah. And and Kendall's a bit of a loose cannon sometimes. Like he weaves in and out of sanity and insanity a little too often. Yeah. Not not that it's a bad thing. It's very interesting to watch. But he's always like one a hair line or hair triggers away from like going off the deep end again. Yeah. And you always you always think that this time is the last time he goes off the deep end. Like he's seriously gonna hurt himself. 
And, and and Roman too. Roman's an interesting character to me. Well, he he comes and goes too because he has these moments of allegiance to his siblings and uh, a desire to take Logan down. But then he also um, can't. Being the uh, the youngest sibling, he he feels like this affinity to Logan that is hard for him to escape. So yeah. So the thing with with uh, Roman is that there's a massive layer of insecurity that's underlying his entire performance. Yes. And I think other than Shiv, who I think is a bit of a straight shooter, I think Roman is the one that I, where I can like understand where he's coming from all the time. Ken, Kendall's way too fluid. Like he doesn't switch allegiances all that much, but he, he he's like, he's like a cokehead. He's manic with all these yes. weird ideas that are just disparate. And the way he talks about like, Oh, this is Amazon meets, you know, square or whatever you know like like it, it's very like tech bro speak yeah. and it, it it honestly seems like he never kicked his coke habit no no i think that's um that's definitely implied um, yeah and shiv to me is interesting because she's clearly got the the deck is stacked against her as being like the only female the only one who's like really worked outside of the family business and she's got this weird relationship with tom and I, I think she might be my favorite character throughout the whole thing. Oh. It's a tie between her and Roman, I think. Yeah, I don't know who my favorite character might be. Greg, actually, just because I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really? kind of oh from a comedy. I'm so annoying from a comedy level, but also the uh, uh, watching the tragedy of him like screw up his life by not getting free of these people. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. It is tough to watch him like implode, right? Because you know it's coming. Yeah. So, yeah, he might be my favorite character, but I did see an interesting critique, and this was leveled more at season three than season four, but it it could probably still apply. And that was that um, this critic thought that they had started writing the show with the interest of creating like quotable moments that would be clipped and shared on social media. So they, they felt that. You know, the the individual scenes were starting to break down and it was all about like setting up a a one two punch type of um, banter that uh, played better in like a 15 second format than in a one hour TV episode. Do you find that at all? Not really, to be honest. I, I still find it's a very quotable, memeable show from like Tom making fun of people's man purses to Logan Roy stepping on a box boxes of paper to make a big speech and saying F you to everyone. I, I, I still find it that way. I, I think some of the side characters are a little distracting. Um, I can't remember the, the guy's name, but the one with the beard and who's balding. Oh, um, who's, who's often working with the publicist. Oh yeah. Uh, that's uh, Hugo. Hugo. Right. I find Hugo a very weird character. He is especially. Weird. Yeah. There's a, there's a joke where, um, Logan Roy's girlfriend is is auditioning to be the anchor and it goes yes. really poorly and then he walks into this meeting room and Hugo's like actually secretly making fun of her while watching yeah. this clip yeah. and there's like this whole extended played out joke where like Logan realizes what Hugo's looking at and Hugo's kind of being all awkward about it and it just feels really forced and anytime the characters really do something special they just tell Hugo to stand in the corner yeah so, so yeah. he's not really important and he's not really um comedic relief so uh, it, it's tough for me to understand what he is he does get a he gets an interesting moment in the most recent episode i will say that okay okay so I, i'll have to watch that but one of the more interesting characters to me from like uh from a viewer standpoint is actually the publicist mm. um carolina Carolina, I I feel like there's layers to her that we don't know about. Yeah, because she's always the most even keeled, and I really wonder what kind of person it takes to be such an even keeled person. That's a good in point. That environment, yeah, because everyone is off the balls crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and her her allegiances never waver. It seems like, like she works for Waystar Royco, and it just. It, it never wavers. She's never playing for the other side. She's just doing what's required of her. She's working in the best interests of the company. And she's the straightest shooter in a show about people with no allegiances. Yeah. I almost want them to build up a, a, to a point like in the penultimate or the final episode where she finally loses her cool and screams at everyone. And it'll be like, whoa, okay. they We finally got to Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. The, going back to Logan's death, did it really surprise you? It was interesting the way they did it. It was interesting the way they did it. I 
I knew that there was some big revelation coming because uh, I didn't see it the night it came out and there were a few days in between and there was just the, the tone of people talking about it on Twitter was was such that like, oh, okay, some big plot moment has happened. I don't know what it is. I assume it would have to be a character's death. But so I, I had that like that preconditioning. Um for most of the like once they they started in with the uh the stuff about him being like on the plane but not officially dead yet i was like and maybe this was just from all of the years of watching the show but i i kept thinking like wait is this a play like is he does he have like a dummy on the floor and he's hiding in a closet somewhere and he's trying to get one over on the siblings by pretending to be dead and then you know uh, faking them out um but then yeah they've they've committed to that now so it's it seems like you know it is the way they say it is it never occurred to me that logan roy would do this just to stick it to his children no it's always about like making the company better and getting more power for himself but exactly for him it's about money and power it's not really the emotional side of things that he cares about in fact i would say he's he doesn't care about any of the emotions that go into running his company at all um, so it never occurred to me that he was playing a prank or anything like that. It was interesting to me that he died off, like it, he had the heart attack off screen. Yes. And they had played out whether or not he is dying for like a, the, the entire episode, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It got to the point where I'm like, okay, we need to stop with the freaking out and wondering if he's dead or not. I thought it was more interesting in the final 15 to 20 minutes about how the siblings dealt with it. Versus the the root the news that it got leaked versus the effect it had on markets versus the effect it had on the siblings and the trust structure and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was the more interesting part of the episode, but and maybe they'll get into that more. I think they will because like it's going to be a standard length season. I think so. The fact that they have the death up in the third episode means that they still have. Um, six or seven episodes to go after that point to get into all of the actual succeeding, I guess you can say the, 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 the paid basis of the title. Right. So the, the fact that it's, they're calling it quits after this season though, I think tells me that they've got a ending that they're happy with that they've settled on. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they must. So I, this is the only reason. And it's the only reason why any show ends well is when they call their own shot. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't just get, you know, kneecapped the way, renewed and yeah and renewed for another season another season another season they have to come up with all sorts of crazy stuff this is how like how you get like main characters to go down a road that like that was never plausible like in weeds ozark (laughs) where like the protagonist becomes like a major drug dealer or a freaking murder like it 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 doesn't vibe and jive anymore with with the what happened in the first place well on that uplifting note (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that about does it for this episode Uh, come on back next time and uh, we'll have even more to talk about probably um, will I get Jason to go see an Ari Aster film with Bo is Afraid you will find out at the same time as me no Um, (laughs) no (laughs) you're not even a little bit curious about uh, what some have described as a career killing film uh okay maybe maybe it's not a straight up horror from what I can tell yeah Okay, fine. All right, well, until then, my name is Robert Snow in Toronto. And my name is Jason Chen in Vancouver. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. The Extra Buttery Podcast is written, recorded, and produced by Jason Chen and Robert Snow. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to rate and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. And remember... Popcorn is always better with extra butter.